the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with host Al Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now, your host, Al Fadi. Well, hello, everyone. This is Al Fadi, and I want to welcome you back to the second part of our live stream marathon. Uh, we have another special guest that will join me shortly. But uh, just to recap what we have done so far uh, yesterday, uh, we've done uh, three live uh, streams back to back. Each one of them, of course, was two parts because we tried to accommodate for the accommodate for the airtime from my radio podcast called Let Us Reason. The first one was with both uh, Brother Nasser, a former Muslim from Saudi Arabia, and our dear sister, Daughter of Christ, uh, both whom I had on my channel before, shared the testimony, and also I had them uh, join me to discuss different topics. The second hour of our live stream marathon yesterday uh, also was two parts with Brother Anthony Rogers, uh, who did a beautiful job discussing the Christology of the Gospel of Mark, a very important topic. It was a teaser for something that he and I will do here in our studio uh, together, uh, a multi-videos, obviously, to discuss the Christology of Mark, and hopefully later we can dive into the Christology of Luke and then the Christology of, uh, Christology of Matthew. The, the idea is that we want to uh, teach our brothers and sisters how they can defend the deity of Christ, not just from the Gospel of John, but also from the Synoptic Gospels, and especially from Mark that many believe to be the early traditional, traditionally speaking, the earliest uh, out of all the Gospels. And Muslims, of course, jump all over Mark, thinking that somehow Mark does not present Jesus as divine, and only John will present him divine. And then they will make these, um, you know, outrageous claims that there has been an evolution in terms of how the divinity of Christ was presented. If you start from Mark, and you get all the way to John. Of course, yesterday in just the one hour, we were able to debunk that just by looking at a couple of pa uh, parts of the Gospel of Mark, the prologue of Mark, and also another section uh, from chapter 6, verses 45 to 52, where Jesus walked on water and calmed the storm. And I added later also uh, Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. All that to say is that that was a teaser just to show you that Mark is impregnated with so many information concerning the divinity of Christ, especially from the Old Testament, and that ties beautifully to Exodus chapter 23, also ties into Judges chapter 2, also ties into Isaiah's chapters 42 to 55, and the list can go on and on and on. So uh, all that to say is we were able in one hour to refute these bogus claims. And then in the third hours, we had a questionable character called David Wood. No, just kidding. Uh, uh, who has been definitely preoccupied by 
um, his own, uh, you know, personal life in terms of taking care of his kids, because apparently there are shortages of available nurses. And many of you know, of course, that David had two uh, uh, of his sons, 10 and 13, that really need medical assistance. And uh, always uh, lift him up in prayer and also consider supporting the, the brother and taking care of his needs, because these are not easy. Uh, and obviously, he has been spending time to take care of his family, which is, of course, has to be first and foremost before anything else. So many of you have been asking about where is David? That's what David is doing, taking care of those most important needs and his precious kids. So we definitely were blessed to have him with us for the last hour of our marathon. And right before this particular hour, we had another hour with our dear brother, Dr. J. Smith, also two parts where we talked about where we were in terms of the data that we've been uncovering that refutes the holes in the Islamic narrative, and then where we're going. So it was the title was where we were and where we're going, meaning the additional material that we will begin to unpack together, he and I here in studio, but also he's going to start uh, doing these video teasers on his own channel, Fonder Films. Well, today, uh, right this minute, we have another uh, live stream. It will be half an hour only with this particular uh, guest, simply because uh, he has some other commitments, and we do not want, of course, to get in the way of him meeting uh, this commitment that will be immediately after our live stream. With us uh, uh, in studio, our dear brother, Mel. Brother Mel, I want to welcome you to our uh, live stream. Thank you so much, as always, for taking the time to do this, and also thank you for your amazing research and the uh, absolutely amazing, uh, you know, information that you are sharing with us, which is an eye-opener in and of itself. Now, I haven't shared yet the title. Why don't you go ahead and share the title with people right now? Um, hi, Al. It's great to be back, and thank you for welcoming me back onto the show again. It's great. Um, so the title today is, um, is the story of Muhammad um, historical or is it fictional? And in today's uh, presentation, I'm going to present the fact that it is a mythology. And we can tell it's a mythology by looking at the structure of this, this story, story that all of the audience, I'm sure, is familiar with. And to show that, I'm going to be looking at Joseph Campbell's The Hero's Journey, which is um, a work that he had done uh, decades ago. Um, he analysed hundreds of different mythologies and found some common elements in all of these stories. Now, um, a number of years ago, I had the pleasure of being mentored by a screenwriter who um, was interested in a story that I had, and he taught me the basics of how to write a screenplay. So I had a go at it, and I spent a, a long time trying to put together a screenplay. And, and the difficulty was that when you have a historical story and you try and turn it into essentially a mythology, it is very difficult because everyday life is very messy. Things don't fall neatly into different categories. And, uh, and, and so the only way I was able to actually make a workable story was I had to adapt the story and make it a fiction in order to make it work. And even then, it was really difficult. And if any of the elements were wrong, it wasn't just a question of editing the screenplay. You had to start from scratch and get all the elements to work in unison in order to have a good story. So uh, on... Slide one there, um, you may see the. So you're going to start kind of like a diagram right of Joseph, see, right? Yeah. Yep. So this is a diagram of Joseph Campbell's um, hero's journey, 
And it's broken up into four parts. There's a call to adventure. There is a supreme ordeal. And then there is a transformation and there's a road back, the hero's return. And in, in most stories, you find these elements. And, um, you know, you'll be familiar with with the elements of this in most movies. If you go to a good movie and you you, you feel that it was a really satisfying story, the reason is because it follows these key elements. And if if some of the elements are not there or if they're in the wrong order, the story feels flat. So I thought today it'd be interesting to look at Ibn Isaac's and Ibn Hisham's biography of Muhammad to see whether it looks like a history or whether it looks like a mythology. The conclusion I'm going to be drawing is actually it looks very much like a mythology. So what I would like to do is compare it to Lord of the Rings. And we're going to see each of the elements of the hero story. We're going to look at Lord of the Rings and then we're going to look at the story of Muhammad. And I think it's going to be really obvious to all of you that yeah. Muhammad's story is is very much a mythology. And Mill, just before before you continue with this, what, what prompted you to begin to look into these directions, if you don't mind sharing with, with people? Because sometimes they wonder, well, well, why are you doing this? And are you trying to invent a myth yourself? You know, what, what prompted you to go in that direction, which is, you know, the right uh, way to do it, of course. Yeah, um, well, it started off with me assuming that the story was correct and it was historical. But as I start to do research and discovered there was lots of holes in the standard narrative, as, as they say. And basically, the historical road diverted massively from the story that we're told. And so, it, you know, it led to a lot of questions. One of the questions is, well, if the story isn't true, then where did they get the story from? And how did they come up with the story? And of course, uh, one of the things I've tried to do is rationalize it and and, and think about were there actually historical people that might have inspired the story? So one person that I've suggested previously is that E.S. Ibn Kapisa may have been one of the historical people that may have um, inspired this mythology. Above um, and yep. as I'm sure you realize that inspiring a story isn't the same thing as having a historical story. So, for example, you know, uh, say a, a story like Superman could have been inspired by a hero back in the early 20th century. That, but that's not the same thing as Superman being a real historical that's person. Right. That's right. Um, so that's the, the background to Wonderful. So we have about 14, 14 minutes, give or take. So I'm just giving you a, a hint okay. as uh, you can time yourself. But also, this is a teaser again. This We're just doing a teaser right yeah. now. Yep. Absolutely. Okay, so if we look at the ordinary world, the, the hero starts off in their ordinary world. If we take Lord of the Rings, uh, Frodo Baggins is living in the peaceful Shire amongst a village of hobbits. And his good friend Gandalf enters the Shire to celebrate his uncle's birthday. Okay, so that's Lord of the Rings. And if we compare that to Muhammad, Muhammad is working as a merchant or trader. So in both cases, they start off in their ordinary world. Then we move on to the call to adventure. So Frodo was called to adventure by Gandalf when Gandalf entrusts him with the one ring after Bilbo leaves the Shire. Do we have anything like that in the case of Muhammad? Well, in the case of Muhammad, he's visited by the angel Jimbriel and is entrusted with a revelation. So this is a stereotypical mythological element. You know, it starts off ordinary life and then 
the hero of the story is called on a certain adventure. And, and Mill, uh, Brother Mill, I, I want to clarify to people, you're not saying uh, the story of Muhammad was borrowed from, you know, the hobbits or, or the story of the Lord no, of the Rings. No, no. You're, you're showing just what a, mytholo- a mythological story would look like. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I could have picked any one of hundreds of Got it. familiar stories and films and books. Um, you, I'm just using Lord of the Rings as an example of how it, it might compare. I'm not saying that Muhammad's story is similar to Lord of the Rings, just that the the structure of the story exactly. is pretty much the same. Yeah, it's a monomyth. So the third element is a refusal of the call. So in Lord of the Rings, Frodo refuses the call to adventure at first, not believing that a simple hobbit like himself can be entrusted. Do we have anything like that in the story of Muhammad? Yes, we do. Um, Muhammad is terrified and squeezed several times. He attempts to commit suicide by throwing himself off the mountainside. And a direct quote from the Sira, I thought, woe to me, poet or possessed, never shall Koresh say this of me. I will go to the top of the mountain and throw myself down that I may kill myself and gain rest. So that's yeah, I mean, perfectly honest, in line with a typical mythological yeah, story. Absolutely. I wish he did that. But uh, all that to say <laughs> is that, um, you know, uh, Mill is re- reporting real things about Muhammad, by the way. He's using the Lord of the Ring as just a, a, a mythical story, but he's using real things about the story of Muhammad, at least according to the Islamic tradition. Now, here is a prophet who says he wants to commit suicide because he wasn't so sure that he was actually called by God. That in and of itself tells you something. Yeah. Go ahead, brother. Yeah. Okay. So, of course, next element typically occurs meeting with the mentor. So our hero in The Lord of the Rings generally refuses the call in the beginning, either afraid of what will happen or satisfied with life as it is. And then someone like Gandalf appears to change the hero's mind and to bestow gifts and gadgets. This is the meeting with the mentor. So probably you can guess what it is for the case of Muhammad. So in the case of Muhammad... We have two mentors, if you like. So we have Bahira, who foretells his future when he's a young child, foreshadowing the later events. And then more importantly, you have Waraka ibn Nafal, who reassures him that it is the angel Jibril. So he decides to accept the mission that he's given. Yeah, through Waraka ibn Nafal. And Waraka ibn Nawfal, uh, the cousin of Khadija, never actually believed in Muhammad as a prophet. I mean, that's even interesting in and of itself. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And of course, we have no evidence that this person ever existed. This is the thing. It's, it, it, um, it seems credible a little bit, but then once you start comparing it with other uh, works of fiction, you see that it is completely stereotypical. Yeah, and you have uh, Bahira, the, the priest, also the same thing, you know, about the seal or the mark in his back. And again, the priest never believes in Muhammad, but somehow he was the reason why Muhammad should believe he's a prophet. Exactly. So, of course, the next big element in the story then is crossing the threshold. So Frodo and Sam cross out of the shards. This marks leaving the ordinary world and going into the extraordinary world. So how does that compare with Muhammad? Muhammad shares his revelations to his first followers. He confronts the people of Mecca. So he goes out of his comfort zone. He's basically um, telling the people about his experiences and sharing the revelation. This, again, hits the, the nail on the head in terms of the mythology. Amen. 
And number six, you have tests, allies, and enemies. Um, a story wouldn't be a story if you didn't have some opposition. So in the in case of Lord of the Rings, you have Frodo and his hobbit friends face the ring rats, for, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, for the first time on their way to meet with Gandalf at Bree. Um, in the case of Muhammad, he gained few followers earlier on. And as his followers increased, people left town and businesses suffered. His followers were forced from the marketplace and starved. Those without protection were tortured and killed. So that's typical. You know, he he met opposition. Things were difficult. He had to, if you'd like, climb the metaphorical mountain to overcome all of these problems and difficulties. That's right. Yeah. And then we get to seven. Approach to the inmost cave, the abyss. The fellowship struggles to survive the journey through the mountains, but is forced into the mines of Moriah. Frodo and Gandalf discuss Gollum and the dangers of the ring. So in the story of Muhammad, obviously, there, there is an episode of the cave that features prominently when Jibril arrives. But there's an, another equivalent cave, which is the, um, the companions of Muhammad go to Abyssinia. That's right. So exactly. Metaphorically, the companions of Muhammad seek temporary refuge in the inmost cave by migration to Abyssinia. Now, it's interesting um, that there is a curious coincidence in that Abyssinia begins with abyss, but that is purely a coincidence. There's no <laughs> etymological link between the two words, but it's it's an interesting element. Yes, and when you were which saying makes this, you wonder by the way. was. I'm sorry, I didn't mean cut off, but when you're talking about his persecution, that's what came to my mind, the first migration to Abyssinia. Yeah. And so, um, of course, it's a great element of the story. You know, he, he meets opposition and then they have to flee. And, of course, this is a foreshadowing of the later migration known as the Hijra. That's right. So this this all helps to bring the story together. It makes it a really gripping story. And, you know, most people will have only got these core elements. You know, these, this is the story that most Muslims will have heard. And and because it works so well, all the elements fit together nicely, like every good story does. They will have shared it with their children and they will have shared it with their friends and so on. So it works really well as a story. But that's all it is. It's a story. And then number eight, you have the ordeal. So in Lord of the Rings, the orcs are alerted to the presence of the Shellish the fellowship with Moriah, Frodo and his friends are forced to fend off hundreds, if not thousands of orcs, as well as a cave troll. They defeat the cave troll, and just as the orcs are about to overrun them, their numbers are scattered as the Balrog appears. Okay, so what is the ordeal for Muhammad? Most people in Mecca either ignored him or mocked him as just another prophet. However, when his message condemned idol worship and polytheism, many of Mecca's tribal leaders began to see Muhammad and his message as a threat. Mecca's merchants and leaders offered Muhammad incentives to abandon his preaching, but he refused. Increasingly, the resistance to Muhammad and his followers grew, and they were eventually forced to immigrate from Mecca to Medina, the Hijra. So that is like a real key turning point in the story, the Hijra. And uh, we will have noticed that in in an earlier presentation that I did with you, that the the beginnings of the Tayyaya kingdom happened in 718. Of course, according to Islamic tradition, it happened in 722. So that 
element doesn't quite fit historically, but it's interesting that this is a mythological element, this whole idea of a hijra in the first place. Yes. And I don't know if you've ever uh, looked into the fact that when Muhammad migrated, uh, he and Abu Bakr, they hid in a cave and they had a, uh, you know, a spider basically web that protected them. I wonder if there is any mythical element here to other myth stories as well. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd be curious actually to look that one up and just see if um, Joseph Campbell talks about that because he, the, the version I'm giving is a kind of like a simplified version of his, his overall schema. Um, I, I think he has 17 elements in total. I'm going to be just doing um, 12 of them. But I'm, I imagine there are probably elements like that in it. I'll have to look that one up. Very good. I'm sorry. So, I keep going, brother, because we have about five minutes, uh, four minutes left. I don't want to delay you. Okay. Okay, so next is the reward. So the fellowship is rewarded with its own bravery for surviving. Okay. And in the case of Muhammad, at Medina, the revelation of praying towards the Kaaba in Mecca came to him. So that's sort of a reward. And then the focus now on Mecca, which leads us into the return home of the hero. So we have the road back. So um, in Lord of the Rings, um, uh, let me see. Saruman has created an army of Urakai to hunt down and kill the fellowship. Frodo wanders off on his own as later confronted by Boromir. Boromir. Boromir, seduced by the power of the ring, tries to take it from Frodo, but Frodo escapes. Now, in the case of Muhammad, in Medina, Muhammad united the tribes under the constitution of Medina, and that begins the road back to Mecca. So it fits like a glove. Number 11, the resurrection. In the case of Lord of the Rings, Frodo realizes that he must travel to Mordor alone. So resurrection here is metaphorical. It's when all things seem lost, the character, um, if you like, resurrects and wins the day. In the case of Muhammad, Muhammad finally returns to Mecca in victory and it all it comes to him so easily. Yes. And then finally, 12, the hero returns. Um, in the case of Lord of the Rings, Sam arrives at the shore as Frodo floats away in a boat. Frodo looks on with longing eyes, knowing that he must go on this adventure alone. However, Sam is having nothing of it. Despite not being able to swim, Sam lunges himself into the river in pursuit of his friend. When Frodo pulls Sam up into the boat, uh, they're reunited. We've returned to where the adventure started with Sam and Frodo venturing off on an adventure. So in the case of Muhammad, we also have that return. Muhammad is back in Mecca, but now everyone accepts him. He destroys the pagan idols in Mecca and then sends his followers out to destroy all of the remaining pagan temples in Eastern Arabia. So we see that we have all 12 of the key mythological elements um, in the story of Muhammad. This, to me, suggests very strongly that the story was constructed so that each element fits perfectly and it flows in a typical mythological way. So that is essentially my argument. Um, of course, I will follow up in a later presentation on elements in the story that are clearly taken from other sources that yes. further points out the idea that it's fictional. Absolutely. And that's what I was going to ask. It'd be really interesting for us to look at some source material for uh, such um innovation, if you wish, or, uh, or such at least um, 
you know, addition to the story of Muhammad. And, it's, you know, things like this, folks, uh, start to make sense why you have a story of Muhammad that somehow fits a specific narrative, yet, historically speaking, it's it's not really reliable because you do not find any evidence to support it. But fictionally speaking, it does work because, hey, whomever really uh, invented it, uh, either edited it themselves or later work continued with embellishing it and making it look even smoother and smoother. Well, brother, uh, our time is up. So thank you so much for this amazing, uh, you know, quick teaser research, obviously. So I'd love to have you back again. Uh, I'll be back here in our studios in, in uh, May and also in June. So let's see if we can work out something based on your schedule and we'll craft up a longer time this time and uh, we'll Absolutely. go from there. Yeah. Any, any last uh, word uh, for the people if you want to uh, tell them about something you're working on or something they need to check? Um, well, yeah, um, I'm looking at the idea at the moment that um, in the first century of Islam, the buildings that we think are mosques may not be mosques, but they may actually be Nestorian churches. Wow. So that's something, that's something I'm working on at the minute, and I'm finding really interesting evidence for that. And so even the, the mosques that we have that seem to be pointing to Petra, they may not even be mosques, they may be something else. They could be Nestorian churches. And um, I'm finding um, a lot of evidence for that in Chinese and now Tibetan sources. So that's something new that I've discovered of late. Very well. Thank you so much, brother. We appreciate you. And uh, we definitely will circle back to you uh, next time. And I want to thank everyone for joining us. By the way, this is the conclusion of our uh, first part uh, of our podcast, Let Us Reason. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.